Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Well, thank you very much for that welcome, everybody. It really is great to see you. A uh, very warm welcome to Kingsgate. Uh, I trust that you are all uh, well, and I trust that you're all very much looking forward to Easter. It's a wonderful time of the year, isn't it, for us as Christians, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also, it's a great time for us as a, a local church, as we, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, have J. John, uh, nationally, internationally renowned evangelist, come and speak with us. So it's uh, great to be here and great to be speaking to you on the road to Easter. And thinking of being on the road to Easter, uh, that is where we are looking when we start today this new short sermon series, just a couple of sermons, uh, Meet the Real Jesus. We're going to be looking at two encounters that Jesus has with people on the road to Easter. And notice we've emphasized there that when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the real Jesus. That is, there's no difference in the Jesus we pray to today and the Jesus in the Bible. In fact, the Jesus in the Bible, because of Easter, is very much alive today. So it's not like we're talking about the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith or anything like that. No, no, we are speaking to the real Jesus. So anything we can learn from these encounters, we can apply in our lives and we can have either an encounter for the first time with Jesus or maybe a fresh encounter with Jesus. So this is going to be an exciting couple of weeks as we build up to the Easter services. So to today's passage then, uh, as we just saw in the reading there, we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 18. 
and Jesus uh, meeting this blind man called Bartimaeus. We know he's called Bartimaeus from um, the other uh, recollections of this story in the scriptures. We see there Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's going to be going to the cross. It's fair to say they don't seem to completely understand what he's getting at. But the very next thing we see is that he begins his final journey to the cross, his final journey to Easter, if you like. And in order to do that, he passes through the beautiful, as it would have been, beautiful city of Jericho. And as he enters in, there's a big crowd passing along with him. We know that there were big crowds that followed Jesus. And this blind man, Bartimaeus, asks what the crowd is. And they tell him, this is Jesus of Nazareth. uh, And he's passing through. Uh, A few few months ago, uh, at my uh, workplace in Leicester, De Montfort University, I'm a a lecturer there, um, I heard that there was a very important person coming to visit. Uh, People there know I'm a Christian, so they told me about it, because all we knew about this person was that they were apparently very high up in the Anglican church. Uh, I'm not an Anglican, but I'm certainly sympathetic. So I was, you know, I was... uh, I was looking forward to seeing who this was, so I turned up at the venue, and uh, I was kind of went around sort of the, the, the back way because that's where my uh, office is. And there's just this this old guy there tapping away on his iPad, and it didn't look to me like he was really sort of aware that a very important person would be passing by. So I thought I'd do him a favour and just said just just to let you know there's someone very important, very high up from the Anglican Church coming by soon. And he just sort of looked at me, gave me a knowing smile, uh, which I found a bit annoying. So I thought, okay. So I said to him, no, I'm just, just letting you know there's someone very important from the Anglican church coming by. You might want to, you know, look lively. And he said to me, um, no, no, I, I'm Justin. Um, and I said, if you're already getting who this is, then please explain it to the people around you. Um, I said to him, uh, okay, Justin. Um, you know, I'm just letting you know there's someone important coming through and, you know, maybe... Maybe you might want to put a tie on. Um, he had this little collar thing and a big cross, like that was going to impress anybody. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm Justin Welby. I said, uh, look, mate, I don't care if you're the Archbishop of Canterbury, okay? There's someone important coming through here, but it uh, turns out he is. He, he, he is the Archbishop of Canterbury. And uh, Now, first thing to tell you is that never happened, okay? <clears throat> But that's the last time I'll mislead you over the next uh, so many minutes, I I promise. But what did happen is that Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, did come to De Montfort University to visit. And it was fantastic. He came and he he shared his story. We had visitors from Leicester University there, staff. We had students. And he shared his story of how he became a Christian. And he shared his story about how he became the Archbishop. And then at the end, he took questions from the floor and he answered them brilliantly. It was great, and I was thinking, I really want to meet this guy. And so afterwards, they took us into this other big room, and there were, uh, you know, snacks and sandwiches and things at the side, and he was just kind of, um, you know, milling around. I thought, great, I'll go and meet him. Only trouble was, every time I got close to him, there were a bunch of uh, students hanging around, and they were, you know, chatting to him and taking selfies and things like that. So I just thought, well, I'll I'll just sort of hang around on the periphery at some point. And it's kind of getting embarrassing after a while, because he could see I was loitering, and uh, I just didn't quite have the gut to step in in front of the students and say, do you mind, I do pay my taxes, so if I could get in first. But, but after a while, I, I just sort of lost a bit of bottle. I thought, never mind, what I'll do, I'll just pull away to the side, I'll chat to someone else, and I'll catch him a bit later. But he was gone after a while. He, he wasn't hanging around for a long time. He was just passing through. Now, don't get me wrong, I will get over it, but I was disappointed you know, here's a chance to meet the Archbishop of Canterbury as he's passing through, and yet I missed it. 
I missed the opportunity to meet him because he was only passing through. Well, if I was disappointed at that, how much more disappointed would you be if Jesus Christ himself was passing through and you missed the opportunity to meet with him? Today, we can learn from somebody who took his opportunity. As Jesus was passing through, blind Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus. And then in the face of opposition, he calls out all the more. And he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus stops and he comes to talk to him. And it's a transforming encounter. It normally is when you have an encounter with the real Jesus. And he actually has his blindness healed. Uh, Pretty amazing. I trust you'd agree with me. But here's the thing. Just before Jesus heals Bartimaeus of his blindness, he says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And that's my question for you today. If Jesus of Nazareth came in in bodily form today, I'd happily give up the pulpit for him. And he said to you, what would you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? Perhaps it would be like Bartimaeus. It would be an area of physical healing. Uh, Maybe it would be restoration of a relationship. Uh, You know, maybe a marriage or a friendship or uh, something in your family or something like that. Uh, perhaps it would be a, a job or some other situation in life or maybe a sin habit that you're trying to get out of. Or maybe it's seeing people one to the Lord. You know, maybe you've invited somebody to Easter and you want to see them respond to the invitation. Or they are already coming along to the Easter services and you want to hear them respond to the message. What is it, what would your answer be if Jesus Christ said to you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, here's the good news. Jesus Christ is here today. Jesus is as present by his Holy Spirit with us today, every bit as present as he was when he was walking into Jericho past blind Bartimaeus. So that means that we can actually look at this story and we can learn and emulate blind Bartimaeus' example and see how we can make the most of our encounter with Jesus. So I've got two things that blind Bartimaeus did that I want us to look at and to emulate so we can make the most of meeting the real Jesus. And the first one is this. Call out to him with a faith that is bold and humble. Can we say that together, please? With a faith that is bold and humble. So it tells us then, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the side of the road begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. We know this from uh, all over the Gospels, that there were thousands upon thousands of people who followed Jesus around. I mean, Jesus was a healer. That was going to attract crowds, as well as obviously being uh, such an anointed and wonderful teacher. Not only that, in those days, if an important person was coming to your town, the townspeople would actually come out to meet them. So this would have been a huge crowd. So there's there's, there's no... um, no doubt that it would have caused a huge commotion. And this is obviously what blind Bartimaeus hears. And so he asks somebody, what's all this about? And they tell him, this is Jesus of Nazareth passing by. And he realizes this is his opportunity. And it tells us, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Notice what he doesn't call out. He's been told it's Jesus of Nazareth. But he actually calls out, Jesus, son of David. He doesn't just parrot what he's heard. It seems he knows who Jesus is. Why does he call him the son of David? Well, first of all, what that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he thinks that David is Jesus' dad. Okay, what it means is, to to paraphrase one of my little boys, uh, Jack's Bible stories, it means that David is, at least as to his human nature, Jesus' great, 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 oh so many great granddads. That is, uh, Jesus is in the line of David. So why is Bartimaeus just shouting out this particular bit of uh, genealogical interest? 
Well, it's because it's significant. The Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the one that the people of God have been waiting for for years, who was going to come and sort out all the problems of the people of God, was supposed to be in the line of David. Actually, what Bartimaeus is crying out here is not, what, what was his name? Jesus. Okay, I'll just copy that. Jesus. No, he knows who Jesus is. He's shouting out, Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. He knows who Jesus is. Uh, many decades ago, on the eastern seaboard of America, there was this little town, which was basically a, a seaside resort. Uh, but it wasn't doing very well financially. It was, it was really failing. It had, if you like, become a bit of a seaside last resort. Got a few of those in England, haven't we? Anyway, so the townspeople called everybody together, and they decided they'd have a meeting together, see if they could try and reignite the finances of that little community. And when they all called together this, this meeting, there was a guy there that nobody recognized. And he, he said a few things at the beginning of the meeting. Somebody spoke over him, so he kept quiet. And he actually ended up just saying nothing else and leaving the meeting early. As he was leaving early, though, somebody else from the town was arriving to the meeting late. And they passed him as they were coming into the meeting room. And when they came in, they said to everybody else, what was he doing here? Is he going to help us? And they looked at him with a, a look of confusion. And they said, well, why, why would he help us? Who was that guy? And the guy said, well, well, that was J.D. Rockefeller. Now, if you don't know the name, J.D. Rockefeller at that time was the richest man in America. In fact, if you make the sort of necessary adjustments for inflation, they say he's the richest man of modern times. What's more, he was also a devout Christian and a philanthropist. He actually went round looking for projects that he could give money to. They reckon, again, if you adjust for inflation, he gave away the modern equivalent of $5 billion during his lifetime. If you like, we can think about it like this. He was actually uh, able to help them. He was willing to help them. And you know what else he was? He was gone. <laughs> the opportunity was gone. Why did they not call out to him to help them? Because they didn't know who he was. Bartimaeus makes no such mistake. Why does he call out to Jesus? He calls out because he knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus can help him, and he knows that Jesus will help him. He knows this is the long-awaited anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah. He knows who Jesus is. That is, this isn't a cry of mere opportunism. This is a cry of faith. And what's more, it's a bold faith to shout out, I think this person is the Messiah, especially when you're blind in a big crowd, was actually very dangerous in those days. People might not take kindly to someone identifying someone of the Messiah if they disagreed. So this is a bold faith. And we can see it's a bold faith because we can see what Bartimaeus does in the face of opposition. So he starts calling out to Jesus. And it says then in verse 39, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. So he gets opposition. It's like people saying, pipe down Bartimaeus. Jesus is busy. And he is, right? Jesus has got something very important to do. And he's got a very important mission that he's on. So people probably thinking they're being helpful. are saying, pipe down Bartimaeus. Keep quiet. Can't you see he's busy? Just keep quiet. Just stop it. Stop bothering Jesus. Jesus is too busy. And what does Bartimaeus do? Well, it tells us he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. I love this guy. <laughs> you know, he's shouting out. He's bold in the first place. And then in the face of opposition, what does he do? He doesn't give up. He shouts out all the more. And this is my question to you. When you call out to Jesus, if you don't get an answer straight away, what do you do? Do you give up? 
or do you shout out all the more? Or if you call out to Jesus and you do get a reply, but it's not from Jesus, it's people telling you, don't bother Jesus with that. Don't, you know, don't take that. That's not the kind of thing you need to ask about or pray about. What do you do? Do you give up or do you ignore that and do you shout out all the more? I mean, after all, it may be, may be other people giving you that opposition. It may be the devil. Do you know, sometimes I think it's ourselves. We tell ourselves, I don't know if we should be bothering Jesus with this. I think sometimes, particularly, that can be a trouble for those of us living in this country, particularly if we are uh, English or maybe British. I know that doesn't apply to all of us, but living in this country, I think this can be a cultural thing. Whereas sometimes we think if we're being bold, that also means we're being brash and a bit boisterous, but it doesn't. Notice, Bartimaeus is bold and humble because he calls out to Jesus, but what does he say? He says, have mercy on me. Have compassion on me. This is a cry of both boldness and humility. We've got to understand that you can be both. Just to be bold, just to keep calling out to him, doesn't mean that we're being brash or boisterous or rude. Actually, it just means we're being bold. (laughs) We're being courageous. And actually, I think Jesus likes that. A few years ago, my mate Joel and I went to Israel. Had a a wonderful time. It was one of these Christian package tours. Uh, So eight days on a coach, traveling up and down the Holy Land, seeing various things. Just had a fantastic time. And what was wonderful to see on that bus was all these different people from all these different backgrounds, different cultures, different nationalities, all united, as far as I could see, around two things. Number one, a shared faith and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And number two, a shared amusement of how ridiculously overpolite the English people on the bus were. And this is true. I remember uh, they, would, they would keep bringing this up. At the um, evening meal, I remember one time, the Egyptian girl wanted to get the salt from the German guy. So she said, pass the salt. And he did. And they remained friends. We were amazed by this because we thought, obviously, the way you're supposed to do it, something like this. Oh, look, I Terribly sorry to intrude, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I just wonder if it's possible, uh, if you could just see your way clear. I mean, if it's not too much trouble, do say if it is. But in fact, forget all about it. Forget it. I'm sorry I troubled you. Could I compensate you? I have some money. Would you like that? In fact, let me just pipe down. And it's one of those things you don't notice sometimes until you're around other people who don't behave in this ridiculous way, you don't notice sometimes how silly this actually looks. And you, we thought we were being polite. We started to realize actually not being polite, being rather annoying. <laughs> and the thing is, I think sometimes we take that into the way we ask Jesus for things. So Bart, blind Bartimaeus calls out, Jesus, son of David. And people have a go at him and he cries out all the more. What do we do? Jesus, can I just trouble you? I'm terribly sorry. I know you're busy running the universe and I know I'm just this little person. But if you would, no, okay, no, fine. I shouldn't have said anything, you know. (laughs) Actually, I don't think we're being humble when we're doing that. I just think we're being silly. (laughs) I don't think over politeness is a virtue. I do think courage and boldness is a virtue. And I think Jesus really appreciates courage. I think he really appreciates boldness. Think of all the times he seems to commend people for pushing through and persevering, have this gutsy, bold faith. And if you think about it, most of us, when we think about it objectively, we actually realize it is quite annoying being over polite. And it is good to see courage. It is good to see boldness. Um, There's a a young footballer, or a guy who was trying to make it as a footballer. He was uh, 18 years old, and he had a setback. He was released from his club, Macclesfield Town. But he decided he wanted to take this setback and turn it into an opportunity. 
So he had a DVD of all his sort of skill set and so on, a skills reel, I believe they call it, and a CV of sort of his history and injuries he's had and why he thought they wouldn't keep him, um, hold him back in the future and so on. And he sent them out to various clubs, but he, he heard nothing back. And again, he wanted to take that, didn't want to, you know, take that as a setback. He wanted to turn it into an opportunity. So he thought, I'm going to do something bold. So he did something which is either bold or just insane, depends how you look at it. He decided, because he found out where Sir Alex Ferguson's house is, that he would just go and knock on Sir Alex Ferguson's door and ask him if he could play for Manchester United. So, and if you remember Sir Alex Ferguson, he's a pretty scary guy, okay? And so he went and he knocked on the door. Well, Ferguson wasn't in, but his wife was. And his wife was quite taken by this young man and basically said, okay, so she took his CV and the DVD and she gave him Sir Alex's phone number. And so he phoned Sir Alex, whose first question was, how did you get this number? It's a little bit more colourful than that, but he said, how did you get this number? And basically, he sort of talked him round. Sir Alex could see that actually he was sincere, he was a polite young man and so on. He wasn't being bolshy, he was just being bold. And he said, well, okay, come and see me then. So the next day, he went to Sir Alex's house. He said he must have been waiting for him because the gates were already open. And as he walked down the drive, he was met with an absolutely terrifying, terrifying sight. Sir Alex with his hands on his hips, watching as he walked down the driveway. And again, he was kind of a bit off with him at first, just trying to work out what this lad was all about. But once he realized, actually, this was a, you know, a kind, polite guy who was just absolutely sincere that he wanted to make it at Man United, Ferguson said, fair enough. Took him round, they sat on the patio for 15 minutes, had a cup of tea, and Ferguson just sort of asked him about, you know, what he wanted and so on and all this kind of stuff. And the upshot was he gave him a four-week trial. That young man was Ryan... No, it wasn't, okay, I was going to say it was Ryan Giggs. <laughs> Actually, you might never have heard his name. His name was Max Lonsdale, if you're getting that right. You can look it up afterwards. If, you know, if you're still scared about the Archbishop of Canterbury story and whether you can believe me or not. Uh, this is a very real story. And basically, they gave him a four-week trial, but they couldn't give him a contract at the end. But he said at the end, Ferguson made a beeline for him, purposefully came over to him, and just said to him, you know, I really appreciated, you know, what you did, coming round, being bold, and so on. And I just want to say that any time you want to come back and train here, that door will never be closed to you. And Max Lonsdale was talking about it, and he was saying, do you know what? I'm not normally, this is in the newspaper, I'm not normally a bold guy, I think, but I just fancied doing something bold. And I think he was impressed that I did something bold. And I saw Ferguson talking about it in an interview. And the interview was just incredulous, couldn't believe he'd behaved in this way. Because if you think about it, he doesn't really want to encourage people just to keep coming to his door and asking if they can play for Man United. He said, why did you do it? And Ferguson said, courage. I just like people with courage. And you know what? So do we. We appreciate it when people are bold and they show some courage. And we find it kind of irritating when people are over-polite and shrinking back all the time. Actually, you can be humble and you can be bold at the same time. And I think Jesus loves this. I think this is something we just need to press through and get used to doing. We need to, if I can put it like this, get over some of that cultural thing that makes us think we're impressing God by not asking him for stuff. Jesus said, the reason you don't have is because you don't ask. So I think we just need to keep, through it, keep going, have that courageous, that bold faith. I think Jesus likes it. Can I say this? He's not too busy for us. And we can see he likes it, and we can see he's not too busy, because the next verse we read this. Jesus stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. Very beautiful words, that. You can imagine Bartimaeus. He's there. He can't see anything. He just knows there's a crowd passing him by. He calls out to Jesus, and he can hear just people pushing him back, telling him this is a bad idea. Everything is passing him by, and Jesus stopped. 
I was doing the, um, the Alpha Day yesterday and I was telling people about my story about how I became a Christian. And whenever I tell it, I always get emotional. It's always exactly the same thing because <laughs> I always remember back to that time when things were just not going well in my life. And I was describing to people about how, you know, I was really sort of really feeling down, really feeling depressed. And it felt like I wasn't living, I was just existing. Like I was watching life through a pane of glass. Like I was just observing what was going on. If you like, it felt like I was absolutely desperate, but everything and everybody was passing me by. But one night I went out on a dark and clear night and I called out to Jesus. And although it seemed like life was passing me by and everybody was passing me by and all situations and circumstances were passing me by, Jesus stopped. And Jesus still, to this day, he will stop. He has time for you. In fact, he has even more time now than he would have done back then because he is now available to each of us by his Holy Spirit. So let me encourage you. Let's call out to Jesus with a bold, a courageous, and a humble faith. Secondly, Call out to him with a faith that is resolute and radical. Again, can we say that together? Call out to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Remember when I first read this, I couldn't quite get my head around why Jesus asked him the question. I remember thinking, Jesus, you're the healer. He's blind. If it's not too irreverent to say, isn't that a bit tactless? But actually, I think what Jesus is doing is what Jesus often does. In fact, you look at the encounters Jesus has with people. He very often seems to offer this element of challenge. Jesus is very keen that we speak to him, that we ask for him. It's like Jesus is saying, tell me what you want. What do you want me to do for you? And I believe in a sense that Jesus is doing this because he wants to know for sure that Bartimaeus knows for sure what he wants. He's testing his faith. He's saying, is your faith resolute? Jesus likes it when our faith is resolute. That is, when we're 100% sure and determined that we want what we want from Jesus. That we are single-minded. That we've got our hearts set on something. He doesn't like it when we've got double-minded, when we're wavering. Jesus likes it when our faith is resolute. And Bartimaeus passes the test with flying colors because he says, I want to see. Straight away, knows what he wants and he asks for it. Contrast this with an encounter Jesus has just before this passage. So it's in the context of this uh, Luke chapter 18. The very, um, for the very, just before this passage, and Jesus has an encounter with the rich young ruler. You might know the story. This rich young man comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus ends up saying to him, Do you know what you need to do? You need to go, you need to sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. He's not saying, by the way, in order to have eternal life, you're not allowed any possessions. What he's doing is he's offering this young man a challenge. He's clearly looking at the man with compassion and saying, this guy's rich. This guy's heart is in his riches. And I want to know, if you're prepared, if you've got your mind on eternal things and following me, are you willing to give all that up and put me first? Well, that rich young ruler failed the test. It says that he went away disappointed because he was very rich. Why did he fail the test? Why did he not become a follower of Jesus like Bartimaeus does? Well, quite simply because he wasn't resolute. 
There was a tension there. He wasn't single-minded. He he was double-minded. He had one mind on eternal things, and he had another mind on his possessions. Jesus wants us to be single-minded, to be resolute. I mentioned before when I said, what is it you want Jesus to do for you? It might be for some of you um, that you want delivering from a sin habit. This can be a tricky thing. We can often be double-minded when it comes to sin because the way the devil works with sin is he tries to convince us that the pleasure we get from sin is greater than the joy we would get from Jesus without the sin. And therefore, part of us wants to stay in the sin because we're enjoying it and the other wants delivering from it because we know we're wrong. In other words, we're double-minded. What Jesus wants us to do, I believe, in that situation is to say, Lord, I do enjoy this and I'm sorry I enjoy this, but I don't want to. I want to, I want to change. I don't want to do as uh, Augustine's famous prayer said, Lord, give me sexual purity, but not yet. <laughs> we don't want to be double-minded. I want to be resolute, single-minded in this. If you're in that situation, of course you're enjoying the sin or why would you stay in it? But you've got to not listen to the words of the devil that say that's more enjoyable than a life without sin and a life with Jesus. Make your mind up on that. Be resolute, be single-minded and say, Jesus, I want you to help me in this situation. Jesus likes it when we're resolute, when we're single-minded about what we're asking for. We might say, but that's pretty easy for Bartimaeus, isn't it? I mean, after all, he's blind. Surely we'd expect him to want to see. You know, much harder for the rich young ruler. Well, okay, but let's say we speculate that we don't know, but that Bartimaeus was blind since he was a child. If he's healed... The moment he's healed, he loses his identity and he loses his livelihood, just like that. It's a bit like when Jesus meets the guy at the pool of Bethesda. He's been paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus says to him, do you want to be healed? Again, it sounds like a, a funny question. But the moment he does, he loses his livelihood. They'll have to take on a whole set of new responsibilities. They'll have to retrain and start living actually a, a scary life, if you like. Now again, Bartimaeus passes the test But I think a lot of the times we can be a bit like that. We want Jesus to change us, but we're unsure about the responsibilities. If I can put it like this, the grace of God is free, but it comes with responsibility. And I really sensed as I was uh, preparing this. In fact, I had a whole other story and I've got rid of it because I just felt the Holy Spirit saying to me that some of you are in that situation. You've been coming along for a while, a few weeks, maybe months, maybe years, And you've never quite committed your life to Jesus. And the reason is, is because in a sense, you're double-minded. On the one hand, you like some of the stuff that goes on. It makes sense to you. Perhaps you've been brought along by a partner and you like the change you've seen in them or a friend and you like what their faith does for them. And you like some of the things that go on. You're attracted to the person of Jesus. But you're worried that actually if you submit your life to Jesus... If you let him open up your spiritual eyes, if you like, that there'll be responsibilities that come. You'll have to change certain things. You'll have to um, maybe start living a different way or give up certain habits. And I believe today Jesus would want to challenge you and saying, what do you want from me? Today is an opportunity for you to say, do you know what? I'm all in, Jesus. I want to commit to you. I want to be resolute in this. I want you to open up my spiritual eyes and I'm willing to take on the responsibilities that come with it. And can I tell you that what happens when you do that is the Holy Spirit comes to be part of your life and the Holy Spirit actually gives you the desire to want to live up to those responsibilities and the power to live up to them as well. So please, let me challenge you in that today, lovingly, but, you know, as a challenge. 
If you've been doing that for years, maybe today is the day. Maybe this is the opportunity to say, Jesus, I want in. Jesus, I want to see. I want to know what this is truly all about. So Jesus likes it when we have a faith which is resolute. But I believe the other reason he's asking him the question is he also wants to offer the challenge and say, how radical is your faith? Perhaps Jesus is saying this to him. What do you want from me, Bartimaeus? I mean, after all your begging, do you want me to put a few denarii in your begging plate? Or do you think I can do more? What do you think I'm capable of? How radical is your faith? And I believe Jesus would offer the same challenge to us today. When I said before, you know, what is it that you would want Jesus to do? If you said something like, well, just like a nice afternoon, I'd like the snow to clear up. Can we go bigger? Are you ready to trust Jesus for more? Are you ready to pray some big prayers? I think Jesus likes it not only when we're bold in our faith, when we're bold in the prayers that we pray and keep going and so on, but when we pray big stuff. It's a compliment to him. It's us saying, Jesus, we believe that you can do this. We know you want to do this kind of stuff for him. And it's good for Jesus as well. So here's my challenge to you. Are you ready to pray some big prayers? It's not that we shouldn't pray the small stuff. We should, but we should pray the small stuff and the big stuff as well. I remember years ago, I've shared with you before, but one of the biggest challenges I faced as a Christian was during the years when I was single. Um, and some people you know, are very good at dealing with it. Some people prefer being single, but for me, that wasn't the case. I certainly wanted to be in a relationship and I, I wanted to uh, get married and wanted to start a family. And looking back, I think I was a little bit whingy about it. <laughs> and I remember, particularly around the time when my friends Steve and uh, Liam uh, you know, got married. And you know, there's only so many times you can go to the cinema in a three, isn't there? Uh, and so on. <laughs> and so I started feeling quite lonely, quite alone and so on. I remember one time I went for a coffee with Liam. And again, I was sort of telling him, I want to say I'm whinging, you know, it was just real stuff. I was just telling him, this is what I want and this is how I'm feeling and so on. And I remember him just saying to me, but Tom, what do you really want? And I was like, well, Liam, I've just, you know, just been telling you for the last half hour, you know, I'd like a wife and family and so on. And he goes, no, Tom, what do you really want? And I thought at that point, I wish I'd come for a coffee with someone else. No, <laughs> <coughs> Now, I think I just instinctively knew what he was getting at because I found myself saying, I'd like revival to come to England. <laughs> In other words, I think what Liam was saying, and I must be careful how I say this for the sake of both Liam's wife, Steve's wife, my wife and family, <laughs> not that those are the small things, but I think what he was saying is, look, it'll probably happen someday. You'll, you'll get married and you'll have a family and so on, but there'll be big things beyond that that you'll still want when you've got that. Don't let the everyday stuff that you're feeling inside stop you praying big prayers. And I was thinking about this just as I was preparing this. And I was thinking, this is a big prayer. You know, he's saying, Jesus, will you, will you take away my blindness? And we should be praying these kind of prayers. You know, the Apostle Paul says, didn't he? To him who is able to um, do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. When was the last time I prayed for something that was more than I thought I could ask or imagine? I was thinking, you know, this actually happens. You look at any revival, if you don't know what revival is, it's when God pours out his, his love and his power in a particular location. You look at the history of revival, it always started in prayer. Um, a mere 114 years ago, around this time of year in Wales, there's a man called Evan Roberts who started waking up at one in the morning and praying till five in the morning that God would revive Wales. And by November, the Welsh revival had started. It was an incredible time. 
Um, you know, landlords of pubs were very annoyed about it because it turned out not as many people were drinking. Um, even football teams stopped playing football. Instead, were finding themselves uh, in the chapels. Um, you may have heard the story because all the, uh, the coal miners around the time were becoming Christians. The pit ponies all of a sudden became useless because they couldn't understand the orders they were be- being given because the coal miners had all become Christians and were no longer swearing. They had to get in new pit ponies. It's a true story. I heard a story of, of a man who was a bully in his town in, in North Wales. And he, he actually was sort of like the neighborhood bully, terrorized the neighborhood. When the fear of God fell on him, he was so terrified of, of what he'd done that he actually went up to the hills to sort of get away from everyone for a while. Came back repentant and born again. Incredible scenes. When you think about the time of Wesley and Whitfield, they preached all around this country, all around America. They saw hundreds, thousands of people one to the Lord. They used to say, if you go to one of Wesley's meetings, be careful, because there's so many people there, be careful about climbing up in the tree just to get a glimpse of the preacher. Because when the power of God hits you, you might fall out of the tree and land on the ground. And they were bold men. They, you know, they, were, they faced much opposition. One time Wesley stepped out of a carriage and someone heaped a stone, um, hoiked a stone at him. And apparently in midair it just diverted. Amazing things, big things. Don't you want to see that kind of stuff happen? I want to see deaf ears here. I want to see blind eyes open. I want to see people one to the Lord. And not just because they're big and cool and amazing, you know, like glitzy kind of jazzy miracles, but because every single person that's hit by the power of God is yet one more person in the family of God. And can I finish by saying this? We have an opportunity in two weeks' time. We've got J. John coming. He's an anointed evangelist known right across the country, right across the world. And if we can just get people here, that is an opportunity for us to see those people turned around for the Lord. That is a big thing. In fact, it's the biggest thing. There is a party in heaven every time a sinner repents. So are you ready? To call out to the Lord with a faith that's bold and humble, that is resolute and radical. I certainly am. We're going to do that shortly. Can we uh, pray together first? (coughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you want good things for us. And I thank you that you want a relationship with us. I thank you that you develop that relationship with us by saying, ask me for stuff. I want to provide those things for you. Thank you for your example, Jesus. Thank you that when you encountered people, you encouraged them to ask and keep on asking, to be bold yet humble, to be resolute and radical. Lord, may you just do a work in us now just to increase our faith, Lord. We don't understand all the mysteries of faith, Lord, but we know one thing, it makes a difference. So I pray right now, if you like, for the gift of faith for each one of us, Lord, that we might be able to call out to you in that faith that means that you commend us Lord and we read at the end of that passage that actually everyone goes away praising God's name because Bartimaeus is healed so why don't we do ourselves a favor and do God a favor by praying some of those big prayers thank you very much